Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News show. France's two remaining Champions League sides faced each other on Sunday as PSG winded Lyon, a 4-2 win during which we witnessed a comical own goal, a near comeback and the Parisian passion for Cavani. But for most of the weekend, Rennes really stole the show again, not because of their nil-nil, but because of the dismissal of club president Olivier Letan. Elsewhere, there's a Payet wonder goal, a nine-point week for Nîmes, the return of Slimani, and more, all on today's show. I'm your host, Pierre-Paul Birmingham. Muhammad Ali, hello. Hello. Hi, Rich Allen. Good evening. And uh, hello, Philippe Bargel. Hi. How's the, uh, how's the weather in Paris, Philippe? Uh, it's still, uh, still quite windy. It's uh, <laughs> almost, uh, I, would say, I would say, it's almost uh, as windy as last night. Well then, when the rumor came out yesterday that the match might be postponed, I thought, you know, you, you must be cursed. Um, obviously, it wouldn't have been <laughs> your first this season, but we're very lucky that uh, the match did happen. It was a great game and you, and you were there, Philippe. Give us your impressions yeah. on that 4-2 win for PSG. Um, I expected a routine win. Uh, I went to visit a, a friend just before the game uh, who, uh, who actually supports Lyon and uh, he asked me my, uh, my prediction. I said 5-0. And uh, I thought that we were, I mean, we were going to get something like that uh, when you looked at the first half with Lyon uh, being quite, uh, quite defensive in this 4-5-1, uh, Dembele not being very good at uh, getting, uh, getting the better in the air. Um, don't think it's uh, it's what one of, it's one of the things he's uh, least the least good at. Um, two 0 up at half time, and uh, you we scored two goals that were disallowed or rightly rightly disallowed. Then uh, we had the comical on goal, and uh, then everything started to uh, to change. And as we near this um, fatal uh, Dortmund tie. Uh, we we saw we saw that we were still playing that four four two. We've been playing that four four two since uh, since the uh, the abysmal uh, uh, win against Nantes, which was uh, end of November, I think. Uh, which is which is all great fun when we are attacking, but uh, we're just not uh, not providing uh, the back four with enough uh, protection. And uh, actually, the central pairing last night was quite. Uh, uh, was quite original because we had no we had no Brazilians we had no Thiago Silva we had no Marquinhos we had no Neymar and um, and basic and so our central pairing was uh, Tilo Kerrer next to uh, Prenel Kimpembe and uh, you almost Kimpembe, you had no Kimpembe right after that foul yeah yeah in uh, which was strange because I mean I don't know how it felt from from on you know on on the telly or. Or the laptop, but I thought Kim Pembe had an okay first half. I thought he was mm. quite uh, he was quite good and assured, and then he goes goes on and and uh, and makes a foul that should have been should have seen him sent off. But to to me to me Terry's goal uh, is not Navas's fault. It's not even the back four's fault. It's just that we're we're just not protecting the back four enough with that system, and that's a big that's a big problem. And that's probably something that uh, loads of PSG fans are going to complain about. When Dortmund uh, score against us, and they will score against us, a big, you know, the big question is how many. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's just, it's just, uh, yeah, it's just risky. It's just risky, to, and I'm pretty sure Tuchel is going to stay with that four-four-two with that system because it's working. Uh, but it's working in Liga. Is it working? Is it going to work in the Champions League? That's that's you know the million dollar or more than a million dollar 
uh, question. So anyway, Italia scores uh, uh, quite, I mean, really good goal. Um, and then um, it's uh, Dembele who scores, I think, uh, from uh, the Toko Ekambi um, run. Uh, and then Cavani scores a force just after com just after coming on. It's, I mean, it's a nice win. It's I would say 75% of it was quite was quite good, but there's always this uh, feeling that you're you're sitting at the Parc des Princes and you're watching this and you're watching the defense becoming uh, quite uh, helpless uh, as soon as a, as the uh, the opponent is starting to play. Uh, quick, quick passing because you have you have Gay and Duarte who are the only ones who can protect the back four, and uh, it's you know it's it's a risk. So there were a lot of people who were saying what's well, I mean what's what's going on what's going on, and to to me I mean again I'm gonna we're probably gonna everybody's going to to you know jump in on that. I I just think it's a question of protecting the back four rather than back four being absolutely terrible. I don't think they were absolutely they weren't very good, but especially Kim Pembe, but I didn't think they were, you know, uh, really, really bad. That's that's me. Hmm. Um the the good thing with PSG is that, you know, there's players who can score absolutely incredible goals and, and Rich, I don't know what you thought, but when Di Maria scored, I I couldn't believe he had gone in. It just felt so weird that that, you know, he could kind of fool the defense and, and and tuck it in do you think he's i mean if i were to say he's been the best player in Liga this season what would your reaction be um i don't think you'd be particularly far wrong um if he isn't the best then he's he's certainly been top three and i think to be frank you can probably extend that for longer than just this season you can probably stretch that for the full calendar 12 months i think he's been i think he's been terrific i think he's with with other players within the team, there are times where I think he he almost as silly as this sounds for a player of of his stature, but he almost goes a little under the radar. I think with with obviously the headlines going elsewhere to the to the sort of two further further forward. Um, but yeah, I think I think what he can do, and in terms of of influence and producing a moment of magic, I think over the last twelve months he's probably done that more consistently than anyone else within that PSG team. Now, obviously Neymar is now back and and starting to run the show again and, and Mbappe will, will will always be there and until he uh, inevitably leaves. Um uh, but Di Maria, I, I you know, I, I've been thoroughly impressed since he since he joined PSG. It would have been very easy for him to just coast and there are times when when they when there is a little bit of coasting, but I think the same could be said for a lot of PSG players. It's probably to keep up that level week in, week out, it's probably quite difficult. You know, there mm -hmm. are times where he can probably afford to let it coast, but he is one of the few players I feel anyway. I, I you know, I'm not someone that that's, that's a PSG fan or watches PSG religiously every week, but he seems to be the kind, you know, one of those players that seems to step it up um, when he needs to, and and that's exactly what they need in the Champions League. I go back to. Um, the first leg at Old Trafford against Man United last last year mm -hmm. last season, he was terrific in that first leg. I think easily the best player on the pitch. Perhaps we forget about the second leg for 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 the argument's sake. <laughs> but yeah, I, I just I just I just think he is 
And it, it, it does sound daft to say, but I do think he he does sometimes fall under that radar. I think it's mm-hmm. easy to forget how influential and, and how much of an impact he has on that PSG team. Obviously, I mean, you mentioned that Neymar is back, but he didn't play today. He missed this game again. Um, so I think that's two or th- two matches last in the last week he, he missed because of uh, that minor injury, apparently. Uh, Mo, I'm going to turn uh, to you to talk about Lyon. I can al- already hear you saying that Rudy Garcia has failed to win any big games this season. But how, what do you think of the way he set up uh, this team and, and, and really the way Lyon performed against PSG as a whole? Um, I think you can, there's a lot of comparisons that you can draw with how he set up Marseille against Paris mm. uh, a couple of uh, last season and before that. If you look at the high line that they they played and you know, if you look at, uh, I think it was PSG's second goal, how... Denier was caught out um, by really tugging Mbappe very, very, you know, up the field um, and then being beaten for pace and it had to be befallen to Terrier to to cut back. Um, and by then, you know, they were they were very, very punished. I thought Leon were quite limp in the second half, probably more to do with uh, PSG's somehow, you know, desire to, to put the foot off the gas. Um and that's how obviously I think they, the Leon were able to encroach back into the game. But again, the defense were were left, you know, ruined by 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 the pace of Mbappe, by the creativity of Di Maria, by individual mistakes and a, a rather flimsy flimsy defense. If you look at Di Maria's first goal, being able to sort of cut back and obviously the genius mm-hmm. that he has, very very creative footballer, amazing eye for gold, uh, taking the ball and then beating Lopez at his near post. It was just an inch of space. Um, you know, people, Leon were, were, were never going to trouble PSG, I think. And even the scoreline probably does flatter them. Um, the tactics were a bit out of depth. I thought it was a bit weird for, for um, and a bit unfair, actually, to be honest, for, for Garcia to start Cherky because, you know, at 16, he's hardly going to thrive in a baptism of fire. Um, I, I agree, actually, because you can see he's just... I mean, even though he looks, he doesn't look 16, you know, in terms of his face and he so on, but yeah. athletically, no, no. he's just not, you know, exactly, especially not a, against yeah. a team that come at you, you know, wave upon wave upon wave. Um, and he's not going to, you know, he's not going to star. I mean, obviously, he, anything could happen, but the likelihood is that, especially away to Paris, you know, it'd probably be better for him to start on Wednesday um, in a cup against Marseille, which which would be, you know, a, a lower-profile game and and uh, at home, mm-hmm. you know, be, be able to flex his muscles a little bit there. Um, but, yeah, no, Leon were, were left wanting, and I thought, again, tactical choices by by Garcia were a bit, um, well, you know, well, not unsurprising, to say the least, I'd say. Um, but um, mm. they, they've got work to do, especially because, you know, it's now third game in a row that they've, they've not won and... And the most surprising is that Garcia hasn't taken too much with the side. You know, certain players have, have gone out of the team and others have, have come in. But if you look closely at sort of the way that they developed the play, uh, they haven't actually sort of changed the way they're set up. Um, so it's that tactical inflexibility that Garcia is not, you know, known for. You know, having that plan A, but no plan B, no specific plan A he's worked on during the week to nullify a specific threat. That's been missing. Um, and now, obviously, you've got PSG, who were, you know, very good value for their victory yesterday. 
uh, but also Nice and Amiens in the last week, who've who've been able to realise what's what's up against them and develop a plan to stop it. And in Nice's case, obviously, been able to do it the second by the cherry rather than the first um, in that cup mm. game. So um, yeah, I'm not surprised for 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 Garcia, and um, it's taken the shine off a little bit. Um, you may remember we I said a couple of weeks ago um, they were entering a very important period. And they came out so in my last um, appearance here a couple of weeks ago. I gave them, you know, a credit where it was due, where they you know, advanced in the cups and and sort of won at home as well um, um, against Preston to lose as well. They they started the year very very well, um, but now they've fallen even further behind um, the podium. You've got a cup game on Wednesday nights against against Marseille, which. You know, realistically, they should be able to win. But then after that, you know, Juventus is coming, San Etienne is coming. It's um, it's 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 a bad time of the year to still not have a specific game plan. Yeah, and I agree that um, I agree on your point about Cherki, especially seeing how good Toko Kandi was when he came on for Cherki. Yeah, and also defensively, I thought Marcel was having a pretty horrendous match even before the own goal. Um, and about that own goal, by the way, <laughs> the best part of it is not so much the finish as the team play, the interplay between both teams. Um, it looked like everyone was doing it on purpose. It was just brilliant. Um, but <laughs> anyways. Um, well, I think I think on, on that one, credit to Draxter, because I think when he puts yeah. the initial cross in and... And Mendes fails to clear it. I think the last thing Draxler would have expected is the ball to come right back to him. So credit him for. And he could have just he could have just hoped for a corner, you know. Well, he would have had a corner if he had let it go. Um, I will say his pass wasn't very good in that it went straight to the other team. But you know, it still worked out. (laughs) He'll claim he meant it. (laughs) Well, actually, there's just two two players I wanted to pick out. Sure, I've. I've been quite critical of, and I know many others have been quite critical of, but Tilo Keira and, and dare mm. I say it, Marcelo, yes, I think at either end, I thought they actually played pretty well. And that, that was their oh. the strongest matches I thought I had seen them play. Certainly in that first half, I thought Marcelo was was really... I mean, there's, there's always that rashness to his game. Um, you don't quite know what he's doing, but there were several... Really good blocks. There was, um, you know, really seemed to 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 marshal Mbappe quite well. I thought Tio Kera um, did a did a pretty good job as well. And I think for two centre backs that have had their fair share of of critics this season, actually, I I found myself relatively pleased with their performances. Well, I was gonna criticize Marcelo but because <laughs> I mean he did that thing it was at the end I think so maybe it didn't matter that much but when he just kicked Mbappe I mean yeah I exactly that's and that's the rashness yeah it's it's not it's something that will always afflict his game I think which is crazy because you think at 32 center back you know you expect someone to be more composed and he does that kind of stuff all the time last week he... especially how fierce his oh, own his, crit- his, his own critics niece, have but, been yeah I just don't understand that. Uh, Philippe, there was another uh, great moment as well with the goal for, for Cavani. Standing ovation uh, when uh, Icardi um, uh, was, was subbed. 
And um, Icardi, uh, who did not score again, but uh, he uh, he fought very, very well for that uh, Mbappe second goal. And, uh, well, the thing about Cavani is that um, everybody's uh, um, getting the thing that uh, we're nearing the end. So his last game should be in May, so his last uh, home game of the season, where I'm sure he'll be uh, given the uh, the uh, standing ovation, the thank yous and the goodbye he, uh, he of course, deserves, more, more than deserves. And um, it, uh, it really is quite uh, typical of uh, us in general uh, that uh, he, would, he would score that, that fourth goal. Mbappe, to be fair, I didn't think he had a particularly uh, great game by his standards. And uh, he, uh, he hit the bar uh, on, that, uh, on that chance um, just, before, just before our fourth goal. And uh, Kevin just shows... Uh, more, shall we say, more more hunger uh, than uh, the and the other players. And it was great. It was great to see to see him uh, first of all come come in. I mean, everybody's uh, absolutely thrilled when he when he hmm. enters uh, the pitch and uh, and and to see him score. It's very. It's um, it was it was um, it was a great. It was probably the best uh, best part of the of the uh, of the atmosphere wide at the ground. I mean, even on TV, the the reaction and the noise was incredible. <laughs> Um, it really looked amazing. Um, one final point, which maybe we should mention, is that uh, obviously Moussa Dembele has a pretty good chance of making it 3-3 uh, just after Lyon's second goal. And we could potentially be having a very different conversation today uh, if, had, if that had been the case. But, um, you know, with ifs and, and whens, who knows? Right, uh, Philippe. After the game, Leonardo came out on uh, TV to give an interview, uh, which, you know, he tends to do this every once in a while to kind of set the record straight according to his uh, own uh, point of view and and kind of uh, interests, I guess. What did you make of what he had to say? He said two things that were, to me, quite uh, quite interesting. Um, well, one one of those is a bit um, well, a bit over the top. But it, it was basically the uh, the the the, um, the, the, uh, the leader in terms of communications, uh, telling telling everyone first of all that uh, we have a great side, we have great players, everything's fine, everything's wonderful. Uh, in uh, uh, we say in France. Uh, everything's fine in 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 the best ever way possible, uh, and of course they were talking about Dortmund. And why were they talking about Dortmund? Is because we can see two goals uh, at home to your side that were uh, are not rubbish, but they are not uh, high flying that uh, that you could compare it uh, to to other seasons. And the second second uh, thing that was very important to me, and I've been seeing saying this for for. For the, uh, the past couple of seasons, actually, uh, ever since the Qataris uh, came over, is that they all they want is to uh, they put all the impetus on the Champions League, mm-hmm. and like any other club in Europe. And Leonardo is basically saying, stop making this all about the Champions League. Just try and focus on uh, us winning, us playing well, and stop focusing on uh, oh, this guy made a mistake. Uh, we can see that goal. What's going to happen against Dortmund? Because everything is 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 uh, um, compared to what if 
said player makes the same mistake against Dortmund. It's always the case. I mean, I'm not in front of Kenner Pus. I don't, I don't have that particular channel. Uh, and but I do, I do listen. Uh, I do watch the, the videos on Twitter after the game uh, on the, on Kenner Pus uh, on on my phone. And that's basically that's basically what's being said is that at this moment in time, uh, Kenner Pus and Likip will may not be as supportive of PSG going final champ, uh, in Europe as they could be to other French clubs. And that's basically what, what I was trying to, to point out on Twitter last night. And I, I believe that Leonardo was, uh, he, he went a bit over the top saying, mm. saying that everything is fine. Well, you know, we're playing a 4-4-2, everything is not fine, it's not perfect, it's, it's good, it's good. You know, for Foligna, it's good. But, you know, there are some worrying signs. We're not, go we're not going to, to, to hide, hide the fact that there are some worrying signs. But he he was absolutely spot on to me uh, when he said uh, stop being uh, obsessed with the Champions League, which I think is a very good point of his. Um, but I also think he possibly overestimates his capacity to kind of change the the media discourse and and you know become the subject of conversation because i do i mean i think what psg really need is not to be saying these things but to finally be showing that you know that's the way they plan on acting and you know uh we'll have answers on that in, in a few weeks and i definitely think i could we could argue about about some of the stuff in there for uh, a long time but unfortunately we just don't have the time um but on the subject of interviews, uh, just another point. There was an interview. There's an interview coming out on Tuesday in France Football with Unai Emery, which Mo and you told me you read it. Um, it's it's already making headlines. W what did you make of it? Um, well, it's not the it's not first of all it's not the first interview that Unai Emery has done since leaving, absolutely yeah. um, Arsenal, and um, as is the case with managers or players who've been unceremoniously fired from their previous job they look to set the record straight in that it's me but it's not really all me um and uh, i think emery's taken his chance um especially in his first i think major french interview uh since since leaving paris um two years ago now um that he's um he's basically well, on a number of subjects when it came to psg um, pointed to his record of winning a league, four cups, and two uh, trophy de champion, even though no one really counts the latter. Um, obviously, admitting the fact that he still also lost the league title um, to AS Monaco. Um, he commented on how, had VAR had existed in 2017, that um, they would not have gone out to Barcelona, admitting the fact that they let slip a four goal first half lead. And a three-goal advantage with six and a half minutes to go. Mm -hmm. um, VAR or no VAR, that's obviously pretty damning. Um, yeah. And then on the subject of uh, why did he... Uh, there's other couple of interesting points, and I'll, I'll keep it sort of France-related. Obviously, he went on a whole other diatribe about Arsenal, but that's uh, <laughs> another day. Um, he, he sort of justified why Thiago Silva was benched in that game against Barcelona. Um, saying that he's tried to sort of 
coax Silva into playing in a high line to be more daring to to sort of play differently to how Barcelona might have expected him to play. So mm-hmm. to just throw a curveball and play up the field, scare them, you know, impose yourself right up the field. You'll have, her, you'll have it, some cover. And he couldn't, I, he couldn't, yeah. If I can just say on that subject exactly that it's it's a very distinctive thing about Unai Emery that, um, although, you know, maybe maybe on this point, maybe he has a point about Silva kind of backing off and so on. He, he, has, a, he, he has a point, yeah. But, he has a point, but again, there's if you read between the lines, what I, what I saw was that you know a manager telling his player, "This is how I want you to play." Fair enough. It might not. It might have worked. Might not have worked. I mean, that's that's the risk of the game. But um, the fact that he couldn't get Silver to agree, and therefore he benched him. Um, yeah, that's that's I what I'm like, getting to. Is that? Yeah, I, I feel like there's more than meets the eye. Um, he kind where, of. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. I, Obviously, I, I get um, after several years of observing Emery in one context or another, I, I, I have strong opinions now. But <laughs> I do think he he um, he has a way of trying to force players to play his way without considering necessarily their best qualities. Whereas maybe you can, you know, adapt your way somewhat to what you have available in terms of your squad, and that I think the it was very blatant with the Thiago Silva situation there. Um, it was blatant as well when he kind of explains how he won 4 2 3 one with PSG, even though that wasn't necessarily the best thing, uh, considering that Thiago Mota was a key player and, and considering other uh, preferences from, from the players and so on. And obviously, I could give you examples with Arsenal as well, but uh, let's, let's not go there. Um, so, yeah, that was just my thought. On that yeah. point, sorry to interrupt. Um, no um. worries. And, and the <laughs> final point, the final point I also want to raise was um, well, actually two two points that both interlinked. First of all, he he he, he sort of styled the interview as you know, the main takeaway that France football had gone with was that he 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 aspirations to be the best manager in the world, and that he misses chance. Um, <laughs> frankly, that's quite far from the truth. Um, whereas. And I've always, you know, I, I think people are well aware of how I see a successful PSG. I feel like, for me personally, and I'm not a purist by any means, but everything that they've done and everything they will do in the future domestically, for me, will personally will always have an asterisk next to it. Um, so, I mean, if he if he thinks that he'll be sort of part of the immortality in French football in the same way, you know, Gerard Houllier and... Um, you know, Laurent Blanc even mm. in more recent times and um, from it. the historical coaches, etc. Um, he's got another thing coming. And and then finally, the point about Neymar, where he, you know, he's, he's justified sort of how important he was to sort of sealing the deal. He said that he's got a great relationship with uh, the, the PSG board, with Al-Khalifa, with, um, and that he had to personally sort of speak, go speak to Neymar to to tell him about the project to to entice him to come to Paris. And he was like, well, my role was quite important, you know, like that's quite understated. That's how important Al Khalifi saw me because I am the coach at the end of the day. Um, and then basically let slip saying that I had to convince Neymar to say, look, this whole club, everything would be around you. Um, and he's like, I couldn't go to, you know, Brazil, wherever, wherever he met Neymar <laughs> and say, look, this is how I want you to play. This is what I, this is my thoughts for you. He had to basically go convince him saying, come, and everything will, you know, will, will be centered around you. So which goes to show like 
how much player power, and especially in this current context as well these days, how much you know player power is there at PSG? Will Will Thomas Tuchel you know fall to the wayside the same way? Um, you know, do these players? I mean, there's been hints and rumours sort of a while ago that you know certain players may have you know a direct line to the president, have some say over transfers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And sort of that sort of opens up that wound again. Um, and so yeah, it was a very interesting interview for Emery. And really, I think I think the less said, the better. Because I think obviously, you know, you're an Arsenal fan. Um, mm. He's lost a lot of credit. Yeah, he's lost a lot of a lot of credit, <laughs> particularly in England. But he's not sort of a guy that's pie in the sky, and and you know he's a guy that evidently tries and tries to at least have a facade where he's a you know he's confident and he's he's a student of the game, etc. And he has been moderately successful at medium-sized clubs, and that's where his level is. Um, so to to sort of try and force himself into contention. With a frankly idiotic interview, it's a bit surprising to me. May I, hang I, on, may I do very quickly to say go a couple of things? Um, quickly, it actually involves Arsenal. Um, oh dear. First of all, the, <laughs> first of all, the Barcelona. No, it's not. It's not really that bad. Uh, okay. First of all, the Barcelona tie was because we uh, we didn't beat Arsenal home or away, but we beat them on aggregate. We scored more away goals than them. No, we scored we... more away goals. Hey, I remember this. We oh, did. <laughs> but we still. But would we have uh, gone through had we uh, had we beaten Ludogorets? Because we couldn't beat Ludogorets. I remember that. Hello. Actually, my mistake. You know what? Uh, oof, okay, my apologies. You guys, you guys scored. Uh... More away goals. Oh, yeah, there was that match with the did. two own goals. I think oh, we did. Yeah, we drew two two at the Emirates, and you drew one one at the Parc des Princes. That's right. Cavani missed something like sixteen sitters or something, and uh, and basically the reason why we played Barcelona is because we finished second to Arsenal, which you know shouldn't really happen these days. No offense. Um, <laughs> uh, so that's the first point. And they said that. Yeah, it was a while ago. Um, and that's uh, and then he said he says that uh, we would have progressed had uh, we had VAR uh, against Barcelona, which is quite ironic because we would have progressed if we didn't have VAR against Manchester United. That's just how mm-hmm. you know uh, jinx we are with that uh, first knockout stage uh, tie. And I'm pretty sure that's why Leonardo. Said he does he, he does say that in the interview actually, which it does it's it sounds weird. I agree that like yeah. He kind of yeah. holds both of those positions. Mm. On the subject of uh, former PSG officials, let's now turn to Rennes, where uh, the club president, Olivier Letan, who obviously was formerly PSG club president, was dismissed on Friday. Rich, uh, it was a little bit out of the blue. What do we know so far about the reasons for that and you know, what's going to change in, in Rennes? Uh, it was more than a little bit out of the blue. It was extremely <laughs> out of the blue. Um, it, it, everyone was going about their business on Friday. Um, things were things were looking good, you know. Yes, we 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 lost to um, we lost to Lille during the week, but obviously the the great performance against or the great win against Nantes the week, weekend before. Looking forward to another Breton derby at home to Brest, and all of a sudden 
drops this communique from from Stan Rand to say Olivier Latong's gone, and you sort of, what have I just read? What, what's happened here? Um, yeah, it, it, it's it. And very, well, along with that announcement came a brief statement from from Latong, making it very clear, you know, he was reluctant to go. It it, it really wasn't his own choice. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, nothing for nothing has been officially announced as to the reason why and. Maybe, maybe nothing. Maybe nothing will. But you sort of do a little bit more digging, and and the 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 relationship between Latton and Julien Stefan has long since been quite a quite a tricky relationship. I don't. They never really saw eye to eye. There were um, the the long held belief that that Latton didn't necessarily see Stefan as the as the man for. For the actual job as as first team coach for Ren, that there were numerous times in Stefan's short tenure, at, 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 well, still there obviously, but short time at Ren, where Latong was was looking to potentially look at bringing in replacements for him, that they never saw eye to eye in terms of transfer dealings, um, uh, and it, it seems to have eventually come to a head where. Uh, the the peanut family, the the controlling uh, owners of the club, have have decided that they're going to act, um, mm. and took the decision then on on Friday. Although actually, having read it, it was it was Thursday evening when the um, sort of announcement was made and made official. Then Friday morning, that Latong was going to go. Um, it got announced, and then West France, the the local paper, have, have sort of published. The sort of events during that day with Latong saying goodbye to sort of each and every member of staff. There were then reports then that because ultimately this was the day. This was only a day before the game against Brest, so there was then reports that certain players, uh, Hamari Traore and Mbanyong, were, were were two that were specifically named that were going to refri- refuse to train. That Latong him, himself had to go into the dressing room and deliver this quite impassioned speech about saying, look, I, you know, I don't want this. You must do this for the club. You must go out and, you know, I want the Champions League for you. Go out there on Saturday and do it for me. Um, and, you know, it's all very, very nice. And then, obviously, the Peanut family are not the most um, vocal. You know, they're, they're not one to come out and give a straightforward message, give something to clear up what's actually gone on here. So, more and more sort of rumours have come about. There were que- there were people querying, you know, were the transfer fees that were actually being paid to Ren the or that Ren were paying, were they the actual amounts? There were there were feelings that there may have been some um, sort of misreporting of figures. Um, there's then this this latest story that um, the Pinot family were not particularly happy to find out that Latong was. Um, getting discussions underway with Real Madrid regarding a possible move for Eduardo Camavinga. There's all sorts. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's frankly, it's a bit of a mess. Jacques Villeneau, who's the chairman of the, of the sort of board of directors has been put as a temporary president. Um, we've been teased from one end of the scale to the other. So we've been teased that the Pinot family are keen to bring in Arsene Wenger as, as president. And everyone's like, Whoa, that's, that's a big name. Uh, I, wouldn't that wouldn't that I'd be, be surprised, great? But, yeah. but then on the on the flip side, then we've also been suggested that we're going to appoint former president Rene Ruello's son, 
<laughs> who Ruello, Ruello is a a sort of quite close to the Peanut family, and the Peanut family are have a history of appointing um, presidents mm-hmm. who are close to them. Latong was a bit of a a sort of move from that norm. Um, so why was Latong so popular? You know, can you tell us about his achievements really with the club? Well, I mean, yeah. So twenty seven months he was in charge. And I don't think you'll find many Ren supporters that won't say that their 27 months, arguably the most successful 27 months, without doubt in modern times for Ren. You know, we we have seen a return to European football. We've had two consecutive seasons of European football. We obviously had a really fun uh, journey in that last season. We've seen this sort of regeneration in terms of new players coming through the ranks we've had money being spent on players we've seen the biggest signing but also the biggest departure in terms of transfer values being paid and obviously obviously the crowning achievement was was that cup success the coupe de france Mm -hmm. success last season bringing a trophy back to Rennes for the first time since 1971 so in terms of in terms of pure success it's very difficult to to sort of argue against that however if you've got a president and a coach who aren't working together who aren't seeing eye to eye in the long run you know it's going to cause some big problems so the peanut family have taken the 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 decision to act now transfer window in january is gone they weren't going to act any sooner than that the transfer window is gone so the tong has used his contacts and 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 sort of worked to to do the dealings over that window he's gone now we're then going to have a period of, of um, searching for a replacement, bring him in hopefully sooner rather than later so that he's got a good run in then into the summer to establish his mm. presence in there, build that relationship with Julien Stéphane so, to go from there. But in terms of a loss to the, uh, to the team, obviously on the face of it, it's, it's a huge loss. It's disruption at a time when Ren really didn't need disruption. Obviously things have been going really well for Ren. They were they were comfortably in in third place. Obviously that's got a lot tighter um, now. So I, I tend to think that things are going well because at least on the pitch, you know, largely it seems because of Julian Stefan who has definitely had a, a great impact. And while I, I'm sh- I, I know that Letan is a competent president and you could say, you know, he was the one who pointed Stefan, but I think someone else would have made this a similar point well eventually made that appointment because Stefan he was the reserves manager correct before he was before yes the first team so yeah Le, so Lamushi was sacked and, and Stefan mm-hmm. came in and, and basically Stefan the, the immediate impact he had sort of forced the the Ren board into appointing him as permanent manager it was similar to to the sort of Solskjaer effect that Man United saw but obviously Stefan's with, managed to keep some more success, success. <laughs> But but yeah. but Stefan's performance that he got the, the the performance he got from the team forced their hand into appointing him on a permanent basis. Mm-hmm. So whether how much say Latong had in that, you know that 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 remains to be seen. But obviously Latong he's he's experienced. He's got a lot of contacts in the game. That's proved that has proved over these twenty seven months very useful. You know we've seen some some uh, high profile names come into the club. To varying degrees of success, obviously Hatton Ben Arthur last season, but yeah. you know a lot, a lot of money was spent on Rafinha. We've obviously had Stephen and Zonzi join in the January transfer window, so it 
it's it's slightly odd. There are some Rem fans that think ultimately Stefan is is key to this team. He is the instrumental figure, and we need to do whatever we can to to enable him to perform to the best of his ability. And if that means Latong has to go, that means Latong has to go. But there's no denying that Latong has overseen the most successful period in, as I say, modern day Ren. So it's it's very very tricky because. Things were going well with Ren, and then they go and do this, and the potential for it. To, I mean, it may work out in the long run, and it may very well be the best thing for the for the club in the long run. But in terms of the immediate, you know, how long, how far can we take this? We're in third. Is this something we can ride out for the rest of the season? Obviously, sacking Latong now and the disruption that that causes potentially puts that into a little bit of jeopardy. So it's a bit of a gamble. Um, you know, I will trust well, Julian Stefan. I will trust the Peanut family who have been in amongst that club for, for, for years. They, you know, I will trust them. It's it's a shame it ended, uh, but they have to act fairly quickly and they have to make sure that the next presidential appointment is the right one. Um, an important game for Rennes in the midweek, obviously, with the cup quarterfinal again against uh, Belfort from fir- fourth division. So you would assume... Uh, they do well there. Rennes, who, <laughs> as we said, played Brest over the weekend, yeah, uh, a derby match. Uh, it was nil-nil. I don't think we're really going to spend time on that one without offence, Rich. <laughs> no, no, there's really not <laughs> we'll much move to talk on. about. Yeah. Can, um, I, can I just ask uh, one question about, yes. uh, about this? Uh, which, I mean, uh, wouldn't, you, wouldn't it have been a bit more simple to get rid of, of Stéphane? If you had a choice, and get rid of uh, a successful chairman and one who, as you said, has has been extremely success, successful, poss- possibly the most successful chairman under the Pinots. Well, the the manager has been as successful though. That's the thing. They were there. I mean, they've been there for the same period of time. Yeah, so it's kind of hard choice, to. I, mean, I don't know. Choice. Yeah. I I think I think the 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 role that Stefan plays in terms of. Especially that link to the um, to the youth academy as well. Obviously, he's seen and helped bring through a lot of these players. Kamavinga, obviously, being the obvious one to say, but there's many more coming through. I think the role that he plays there and how closely the Wren fans have taken him to their heart. I think you know you you could have tossed a coin. You know, Latong has played has played a part. It'd be wrong to say he hasn't played a part. In the mm. success, but I think ultimately the role that Stefan has um, and and how instrumental he is to the the day to day aspect of the team, I think makes that if if you had to get rid of one, Latong is probably the one you would get rid of because ultimately um, uh, finding a replacement for him might prove to be a slightly easier task. Hmm. Um. We'll see how how they do without him, I guess. Um, moving on then to Marseille. Marseille, who beat Toulouse over the weekend 1-0. Uh, Mo, I'll let you share your thoughts on that quickly. I, I think Toulouse, 1-0 was, you know, Toulouse had a chance in that one. But obviously, there's a bigger match coming up this week in the Coupe de France against Lyon. Yeah, um, just briefly on the match. Um, mm-hmm. It was another rather turgid and aspiring game um, for 90 minutes. Toulouse could have had 
the lead inside a minute, inside 20 seconds, actually, when they Seca had a chance, um, which definitely would have woken up uh, Marseille. I mean, uh, briefly, during the first half, it made a nice change because a lot of teams are now coming to the Velodrome knowing that Marseille are barely going to concede. Um, so what they've done is they've just nullified OM as well. They've just sat back without any desire to play any football, um, as, as Ever does Angers a couple of weeks ago. But Toulouse really gave gave a good go in the first 25 minutes. I think um, there was another chance as well um, for them. They were probably the better team, um, which also belies their run of form, having lost 13 of the last 14. Um, and then one moment of magic from the man at the moment, Dimitri Payet, um, who, who who loves playing against Toulouse. I think he's had... <laughs> 15 goals or assists in his career against Toulouse. Um, and uh, after after a fantastic midweek performance, um, did the job. And then from then on, when Marseille had the lead, they really were untroubled. Um, I think Toulouse were a bit hurt, the fact that they had to switch the goalkeeper um, midway through the first half. And Reina, who's uh, somewhat shorter than Kalinic. I mean, Kalinic is a huge... Not, exactly, somewhat... Um, <laughs> Maybe maybe Kalinic may have got to buy it, so we we will never know. Yeah. Um, but they, I, I mean, frankly, I think they had made a good showing of themselves. They were far more combative. Um, they gave a good account, um, but it's another defeat, unfortunately. And I think that given Nîmes have had such a fantastic week um, and probably reversed their fortunes, it might be too little, too late for for Toulouse, who you know, on account of this performance. You know, probably would go and kick on in mm-hmm. the next few games, especially, uh, you know, they're playing at home to Nice. Um, well, they've got a couple of difficult games, but eventually this would have, this is sort of almost that sort of cap, it provides the catalyst for the season. But they are now 11 points adrift um, of 18th, and with Lille and Strasbourg and Rennes uh, all upcoming, all teams who, um, um, who, who have done pretty well recently. It's it's yeah it's it's not looking good but um, credit credit to them um, for a tough game Marseille now look forward to to Lyon on Wednesday and frankly any Marseille fan will tell you this no one really cares um, really frankly um, no, why I is mean, that I mean the, the 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 idea is that it, it, I think this I mean obviously no one wants to be humiliated first of all of course not I mean. The team and a team of eleven will go out and we'll, we'll we'll see what we can do. But there'll be no crying if we get eliminated after like a two-nil defeat tomorrow for sure. It matters more to Lyon and um, because of their league position, because it's Marseille, because of the bad blood that was um, part of the first game uh, in November. Um, but if Lyon lose tomorrow, oh well, sorry, Wednesday rather. Um, against another sort of top team. Uh, Marseille haven't won in Lyon since 2007 or eight, I believe, or oh, well. might be um, in any competition. Um, so Lyon will be up for this. You know, it's, it's the league for Marseille for sure. Um, Benedetto has been playing with a thigh injury for ages. Um, he might not play. Shaman looked really non-existent. AVB had, had had said that the team are tired um, after what should have been a, a nice, juicy win over Toulouse at the weekend. 
which turned out to be a laborious 1-0 victory. They're getting the job done. They've played now. You know, they've it's Marseille have a really, really thin squad and they've played Saturday and Wednesday since mm. the um since the game against Granville more than three and a half weeks ago now. Um so again another game and then another road game against Lille. You know, we've had difficult road games at Bordeaux and Etienne, punctured fortunately by Toulouse, and now again on the road to, to Lyon and Lille. Um and Thanks to you know what what Rich just said about Ren's uh, Wolves coming off Ren season a little bit just ever so slightly. Um, there's there's a, there's a nice gap now. There's a nice gap um, of eight points, and that's that's what needs to be maintained. So you know we are the quarterfinal stage. It'll be fantastic. You know Marseille also missing Jordan Amavi and Kelletsa um, as well because of suspensions. The focus will be on the league, and you know they will give a good account. They will, they will obviously, you know, try and perform. But it will be a slightly changed team. Rongier was on the bench at the weekend because he's played most of the games since Christmas, or nearly all of the games. So expect Strudman to play. Expect Lopez to be given more, more time. Perhaps even Maliaki will start um, hmm. um, and get some game time. It would have been a fantastic game for for Isaac Lihaji to play, but of course. You know, he's, he's being held hostage by his, his family or agents. I don't know what's going on there. Um, so, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting, but make no mistake, really. Win or lose, the focus is on the league. And we are now what? 14 games, 14 games to the end of the season. You know, just we've come out of, or soon to come out after this week, of a difficult February with having played Bordeaux, Etienne, Lyon, Lille. Um, you know, all of them away from home, and then we've got still Leon, Paris, Monaco to come, but that's all spread out in the beginning of March, end of March, beginning of April. Um, Marseille really only needs, and I say only, eight or nine victories, or eight victories out of well, at least 50%, I'd say, minimum 50% to qualify would, for the Champions League. So I would think you could. Spare a few wins for for the cup, but I don't know. I'm a little I mean, bit shocked that yeah, you wouldn't care. I mean, I mean the same the same happened in 2016. The same <laughs> happened. The same happened in 2016 when um, you know that season went to absolute pot to Marseille. So they not only did they benefit from a really easy draw, um, but they qualified for the final against Paris. You know, when you're playing in the final against Paris, it's like, I mean. AVB, you know, he's giving, he's making all the right words. He's not he's not quite blatant about it, as was the case against Paris in October. Um, but he's very made it clear that the team are tired. You know, this this has been that is true. Yeah, this has been a run on tough legs. Considering Tovan's not there, considering Lihachi has not been he's not been integrated to the team. There've been suspensions all round. You know, Benedetto has played with a thigh injury uh, for ages. And that's why it's looked so bad recently. Um, and Valerjaman just looks just as bad um, without any injury up front. Um, and yet the team still somehow chained the victory. So that's what the focus is on. Seven or eight wins out of the last well, 14 is the focus. Whether we beat, I mean, if we beat Leon tomorrow somehow, it'll be fantastic. It'll be a great boost. But then if we get drawn against PSG in the semi final, what's the point? Um, so, I mean, yeah. If. If 
if Marseille does win the cup somehow, I, I would let you be happy on this show, Mo. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna say it doesn't like, matter. The, the likelihood is, I probably will say I've always believed it. Um, I always <laughs> believed we could do it and uh, take take massive credit. Um, but no, I mean we have to look logically now. We have to look logically. I think we can't compete mm. on, on on so many different you know avenues at the moment. The team is thin. Tovan's return, which should have been um, penciled in for this week, he should have at least got some game time against Lille or, or, or against Nantes next weekend. Um, that's now gone to. I mean, no one really knows mm-hmm. what's happening. He might not even return till early March. Now um, we need to keep our players fresh. We need to keep Hyatt. Wrap him in cotton wool, Rongier, Camara, and a, a game against Lyon away from home. In uh, you know, at the end of this current run that we're having, ABB's done superbly well in picking these games. Some people might not like it, but it's working well. The Champions League is the goal. Anyways, the are other, bit, uh, if, if I may, are you a bit concerned about how things would be, uh, are happening uh, inside the club? in relation to money not really wanting to be spent and Villas Boas having a round with, with the board. Well um, well no that's 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 ended now. Um that was yeah. so I mean Villas like every right it's it's water under a bridge and Villas Boas was very clear, you know, in January, the January transfer window. And yes. there was talk of like say Street leaving or Pyatt leaving or somebody. He was clear that, you know, I'm not gonna be able to do my job. But now Obviously, no one's been sold. The team is intact. The victories have continued to come. It's perfect. They've got a working relationship. You know, un- misunderstandings have been sort of ironed out. It's great. But I'm still worried for the summer because yeah. last uh, last Wednesday we had, um, or Thursday, Dimitri Payet in the press conference has said, look, we're in a great place to qualify the Champions League. Life mm. is good. In the summer, if we're unable to crack on, then what's the point? You know, what's the mm. point? Well, that's, if we, that's the thing. I mean, I wouldn't be... If we enter Europe, you know, the first time in seven years, enter Europe with a team less than we've had this year with no Europe, um, what's the point of it all? And Marseille are in... You know, Frank McCourt has money. It's not a case of, you know, money just not being there. It's a case of being hamstrung by the rules. Marseille are 90 million euros in debt or, or in the red, roughly about... 40 or 50 may need to be found before June 30th. Um, it's not the case where the owner can just put it in. And I would, if that, if that was the case, Frank McCourt would. But um, we'll I would have to sell Payet to West Ham over the summer, get good money for that. And he'll come back in January. He, yeah. yeah, but he probably won't be as good next season as he is this season for, you know, um, classic French national team reasons. So, and that way he doesn't have to worry about the team getting weakened because he's not there anymore. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> anyways, well, I do hope you make a good cup quarterfinal. Maybe the other quarterfinals are Dijon PSG and Epinal Saint Etienne. Uh, Saint Etienne, who lost again on Sunday in Montpellier, one nil. Um, I'm just going to skip ahead, though, and let's talk about Nîmes, because uh, who won? Incredible. Uh, winning three matches in, in one week, nine points, 
when they had only 12 points just a few weeks ago total, and now they're on 24, doing much better. Uh, they are, and actually, well, I think, I mean, it was, it seems a distant memory now, um, them crashing out in the Coupe de France to, to, to Dijon, but mm. I think that could quite easily have been a uh, a blessing in disguise because aside from um I think is it four did I read four wins in six was it I think um including a league win over over Dijon who obviously inflicted that that big coup de France win and I think if you'd have said to either team which match would you prefer to win I think they both would have said the league fixture so for Neem to yeah. have almost sacrifice that Coupe de France game in order to 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 do the necessary to to keep Liga and survival um on track for them. I think three wins in three, I wouldn't have certainly wouldn't have predicted that. Um and three, re- three really good spot. wins as well. Yeah. They're in that playoff spot just four points of uh, ahead of Amiens, one point behind mm. Dijon and three behind Metz and four behind Saint-Étienne who's who's not doing very well, obviously. Uh, but what was interesting with the Nîmes match, so they beat Nice 3-1 on Sun- on Saturday, and they seem quite committed to, you know, keep on playing attacking football. They have this, you know, kind of quartet that's now interesting in Liga. They have Philippe Otto, Ben Rao, Nolan Roux, and, and Zinedine, all of whom are in good form and, you know, playing together. That's... I don't know, does anyone want to say something about their kind of form? Well, they're not playing 4-4-2 anymore, are they? And and to me, that's uh, that's the main difference. I haven't watched all their games since, uh, you know, the rebirth. And I, I for one, I'm extremely surprised. It's it's nothing short of sensational what's been going on down there. Because, uh, well, they were playing that, that 4-4-2 with, um, with the, the, um, the, uh, the other manager. And uh, now it's changed, and they were behind Amiens, and now suddenly they have a better goal difference in Amiens. Amiens, who haven't won in 12 games, uh, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, just just to uh, just to confirm the statistic, uh, which it, it is four wins out of six, and three three wins on the bounce, and now they're four points clear of Amiens with a with a with a minus 13 goal difference uh, compared to Amiens minus 18 goal difference. I mean. It's, it really is quite quite amazing how they've turned things around in such in such a short space of time because we're only five games into the return phase of the league and already they're in the playoff spot. They beat a, a direct contender in Dijon and they beat them handsomely two nil. They're just one point behind them and Dijon are not an easy side to beat. I mean, uh, well, I'm saying that you know, they they did they they have the most away defeats along with Toulouse. But it's it's really not that easy. I mean, to, to to me, they look like a side who fights, you know, which really wasn't the case of of Nîmes um, in the first uh, in the first half of the season. And now now they're just they they're doing they're doing uh, almost as good as them. And Metz are only three points clear of them, and Saint-Étienne only four points clear of them. And you've got Angers who are completely imploding for uh, for for some reason who lost who haven't won. In 2000, in 2020, their last win was against uh, was Atenas actually, uh, to one uh, December. Uh, so the last game of 2019. I mean, you know, it's 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 yeah, it's 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 just it's it's amazing how how fast you can turn things around with a change of system, change of management, and and bringing a few players in. Absolutely, uh, Dijon 
as you mentioned, uh, didn't lose again this weekend. They played at home to Nantes. It was a wild game. 3-3 in the end. A, a great own goal in that one from Alphonse. It was kind of like one of the, you know, your classic Cavani header surging at the front post, except he scored it in his own goal. Um, and so better than Marcel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know about not that good, but it was it was still impressive. Mm. And two goals from Steffi Malvididi, who's in good form. Mm. Um, elsewhere, Strasbourg beat Reims 3-0. Uh, lovely little subtle assist from, from Ludwig Vigajorc for the second goal. Lille won in Angers 2-0 with goals from Osim Hen and Renato Sanchez. Amiens, who opened the scoring against Monaco, who were ahead for such a long time uh, after a pretty terrible mistake from Lecomte and a good finish from Guirassi. Amiens did not win the game in the end. It was Monaco 2-1 with goals from Ben Yedder and Slimani. Uh, Slimani, who's making his first appearance in over a month. Bordeaux won in Metz 2-1. Metz also opened the scoring, but then got a red card just 10 minutes into the game. Oudin scoring his first goal for Bordeaux. Ligue 2. Um, leaders Lorient fell against the rivals Guingamp. I'm sure you guys all saw the highlight of the Ligue 2 weekend from that match with a Lorient defender taking a free kick from inside his own half hoping I mean I imagine he's trying to play a long pass to somewhere in, in yeah. you know in Gangan's half and absolutely smashed it into his own teammate from point blank range in a very painful area um, yeah. I, was actually, I was at the game actually it was pretty funny I mean, you were there yeah and the crowd the crowd had a had a good laugh too it was, uh, it was pretty funny <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. Um, also, in Ligue 2, first wins for Paris FC and for Niort under their new managers this weekend. Uh, in the women, all the big teams won. The only surprise was Metz, who got a two, uh, sorry, a nil-nil draw with Guingamp. So they now have two points this season. Yeah, they played. They only got one point from the whole first half of the season. And um, congratulations to them on you know finally getting that second point, 15 games in. Um, and that's our summary. Uh, let's uh, let's talk a little bit, guys, about um, you know looking forward to the Euro and to the French squad and all the hopeful players, uh, players hopeful of joining that squad for, for the Euro. Uh, last week, Rich, we talked with with Christian a little bit about you know Giroud's failed transfer and and what that means for him personally. Uh, and in the national team, let's talk a little bit today about you know possible replacements for him in the lineup at least, assuming that you know things don't change. And and what do you think of Wissam Ben Yedder as as an option, who is obviously is the top scorer in Ligue 1 this season with 16 goals? I, I think he's a fabulous player. Um, another one that again just feels like. Wherever he has been, he has scored goals. Um, wherever he has been, the teams absolutely love him. The supporters love him. But for some reason, he's never then ended up with, you know, that next step move. You know, he, he there there were there have been links to to various other clubs, but for some reason, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's obviously he's not he's not the biggest forward in the world. Maybe it's that that puts him off. I don't, I don't know. I mean, his goal scoring form, wherever he has been, has been ridiculous. I mean, you look at this season, 
you know, for everything good that Monaco have done this season, it, it's all pretty much because of Ben Yedder. Um, you know, he, he has pretty much single-handedly got... I mean, at one point this weekend, they were fifth. I mean, that perhaps shows you how congested it is in, in the league. But, you know, Monaco have not had a good season, yet at one point this weekend were fifth. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Ben Yedder has just been scoring for fun. His mo- I mean... It, for me, the, the thing that gets me is his movement. As soon as that ball is in the penalty area or approaching the penalty area, his movement to create space, to make a run, to take defenders, to just open up. I mean, he doesn't even need that much space, but that ability to to make that movement, to give him that tiny, tiny inch, and that, in most cases, is all he needs because his, his goal-scoring in, instinct is fantastic. Um, I do think he is a, a really, really good player. I do think he could have gone on to a bigger club than Monaco. Um, he's been absolutely crucial to them. So I can see exactly why they've gone for him and why they spent so much in, in bringing him in. Um, I mean, in terms of a Giroud replacement, I mean, if, if you're looking for someone to come in and score goals, which... You know, I know many people will say, "Well, that that's that's not Giroud's thing," but if you want someone to come in and score goals, you know, there's not many better replacements you could bring in for France. But as we were saying just before we came live, actually, the one problem that that does bring about, of course, is does that mean Deschamps has to change his system? Does Ben Yedder in that Giroud role work? And you know, I I personally don't think it does. I think Ben Yedder needs to play with someone. So whether it means you play Griezmann a little bit further forward, but I think they are they are two players who are quite similar. You know, they are two players whose movement is their biggest attribute. Um, so again, I'm not entirely sure those two could work as effective as a sort of big target man. So it's it's a tricky one. I think that that Deschamps going to have to think about because. You know, the one option is is to just stick with Giroud, the tried and tested Giroud. But of course, you potentially going to have to use a Giroud who will have played next to no football um, for potentially half a season plus. Yeah. Or you or you look at springing someone in who could play in that target role, and and your your candidates for that target role are are just as just as as tough to make. I don't think there are too many that fit that particular role. Deschamps has has a really big uh, big decision to make in the coming in the coming months. I mean, in in March he really has to has to say. Uh, I mean, do I stick with him or don't I? Uh, the way I see it is that uh, Giroud is going. It's probably going to end up like what with what Yogi Love with Germany did in 2014, in a way that I think that he's going to try something new that's not going to work because. It's pragmatic, Deschamps, it's structured, it's most of the time boring. And that uh, past the group stage, which I do hope we, we get past, um, we're going to go back to that 4-2-3-1 with Griezmann playing behind Giroud and we're going to be much more effective in front of goal. Even though Ben will probably is probably not going to be playing. That's the way I think I see things going. And... and uh, Sadly, not ending, not ending that well to to me, because it's a system, and Giroud works in the system, and to me, Benyeda works in a different kind of system, 
and uh, he'll he'll be judged by his um, uh, by his movement, his dribbling, and uh, if he scores goals or not. I mean, he will score goals if he's got chances. I mean, we've all seen how lethal he is in the penalty area, but. I just can't see. Uh, I, maybe he'll be given his chance, uh, and uh, uh, we're not we're not that good uh, going forward. Uh, even with all those all those players, let's let's actually mention a big, uh, uh, well, you know, Buko uh, to Usman Usman Dembele who got injured, uh, and who, yeah, I think it's I think it's certainly he's not going to the Euros, or is it almost? I would imagine it's quite likely. Yeah, yeah, it's quite, it's very likely. Well, actually, actually, even I've I've read. Yeah. Today that Barcelona are looking to make uh, an emergency signing, um, and to oh, be wow. able to do that, they have to, to be able to do that outside also the transfer window, they they have to remove a player from their registration squad. Well, Suarez is about to come back in April. They're going to kick off Dembele, which then would mean he won't be able to play a minute. Of domestic action until the end um, of the season. Until the end of the season. Oh so, wow! So I mean, <laughs> that would put pay to his chances of the year. Yeah, that would. <laughs> the point is, all on then. Who knows? I mean, there's a, there's a be, lot of that would be good fun actually oh, having Giroud in the Barcelona shirt just just before to to replace them, Billy. Oh, <laughs> but I think the emergency happen. signing has to be from within the league, the Spanish league. I think that's <laughs> how it works. Um. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting because it's, you know, it's kind of, it's a small example of a larger question that any kind of winning side has is that, you know, do you try to keep the winning formula into your next um, challenges, even if some of the elements have changed, or do you reinvent yourself? Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't have the answer to that, but it, you know, it's the... It's the problem that we'll be facing up, up front uh, in, in the next few months. That's all from us for this show today. Thanks, Mo. Thanks, Rich. And thank you, Philippe, for all coming on today. As usual, uh, for your latest French football news, you can follow at JFFN on Twitter or check out the website getfootballnewsfrance.com. And uh, we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening.